0: If you would, this morning, turn with me to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, going all the way back to the beginning. And oftentimes I find myself thoughts wandering back to Genesis because it is the foundation. And without a proper foundation, you know that you uh, build on the wrong kind of foundation and things begin to crumble. So it it is a book we should return to often. And let's look... This morning at Genesis 1, and we're just going to start right here in the beginning, which is where Genesis gets its name. Notice these words from Genesis 1, and then 1 and 2, and then I want to skip down to 26 and move to 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Drop down with me to 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created in His own image... In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word would we now place this word in our hearts this morning so that we might not sin against you, so that we can be your people and you our God, we pray in your most holy name. Amen. There's a story of a chaplain at the University of Oxford. And he would do these interviews each time a new student came in. So he would want to interview... Uh, incoming student, and so when he sat down with him, he would talk about you know being the chaplain, his the religion program uh, at the school, and so you know he would go on and on a little bit about it, trying to make his case for why they should take a religious track and and uh, and do that sort of thing. And the uh, every once in a while he'd get a student, of course, who would kind of awkwardly say, "Well, I'm a <laughs> I'm an atheist. I really don't I really don't need the the needing kind of religious course, you know." And he'd say, wow, that's, that's really interesting, and which God do you not believe? And then the guy would start kind of fuddling around with his words, you know, um, well, you know, trying to explain his atheism. And at which case then uh, the chaplain would say, wow, uh, we have a lot in common because I don't believe in that God either. And so the story goes, uh, which I've actually used before. You know, I say, which, now, which God is it that you don't like or don't believe in or you know, don't want to as, see as existing? And then they begin to describe God, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's not Jesus. It's some other God. It's a made-up God. And there's a lot of made-up gods. If you've never heard of India and in Hinduism, they have over 350 million made-up gods. And we have our own made-up gods that we serve, even here in the States. And so Chesterton comes to mind, G.K. Chesterton, who said this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, but rather it has been found difficult and not tried. And that's where we find ourselves today. You know, it's not so much, i uh, <clears throat> talking about Team Sunday It's not uh, about us. It's not about me and my own made up gods or thinking of myself as in charge as if I was God. Um, The greatest confession we can sort of make as Christians is He is God and I am not. This is where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. It's very simple. And yet a profound way to start not only the Bible, but your own life. Does your life story start like that? In the beginning, God. Do you see yourself as created, designed by God? Because that's a great starting point. It's the only starting point if we're going to end up properly thinking about ourself, our world, and God. Now, thinking is not enough. Thinking is part of it. And that's where we began, really, is with wrong-headed thinking. But it must actually end with living. Thinking must actually go into doing. We must actually translate our beliefs into practice. And that's oftentimes, and that's what Chesterton's getting at, is Christianity has not been tried in that way by most people who would say that it's been found wanting. May be difficult, but not found wanting. So here's here's the deal. The way Genesis lays it out, it's very clear. There's really three things that you need to know in order to be on the team, in community. God, others, and nature. So actually, nature plays a point. We'll get to that last. We'll leave the tree hugging for Last. Uh, But there's three really things that we interact with from day to day. God, other people, and nature. Now, those three have been grossly uh, misinterpreted and misused over the years. Whether it be war in the name of God, or atrocities in the name of God, or atrocities by certain people, or... Using nature in wrong ways. Not just pollution, uh, but rather using technology. Gathering up nature and forming it into things that we want to use that destroy people or that ultimately can destroy us. You see, the reality is this. God designed us. And He designed us for Himself. So it's, it's it's sort of a you know prepositions are kind of a, a big thing. Uh, so notice when I say he does we are designed by God but we're also designed for God. It's not like He just sort of winds the clock up and lets it run its course, but rather we are actually designed for Him. And when we don't get Him, we are empty. We are a blank. We are pointless. We are aimless, wandering, or as we often say, lost. And we've all known people who really exemplify that sort of life, but you've also felt it in yourself, haven't you? Those moments where it's just an emptiness, or when you've actually gotten what you wanted and it only resulted in darkness. It only resulted in blindness, unhappiness. Seeking for more, even though you got what you wanted. You know, I, it's a powerful illustration. Uh, Jesse and I were talking about this this past week. And it's it comes from C.S. Lewis. He says, you know, there's nothing like being hungry for breakfast. Maybe, you know, somebody's cooking a late breakfast and you're... I mean, you know, you, there's a reason they call it break fast. Because you're breaking the fast from when you ate so long ago over the night, right? And so you're waiting for this... Food to get ready. Well, if you smell bacon cooking, I mean, there's something about the smell of bacon that's very distinct. It's not like other stuff. It's not like, oh, I think that's chicken they're cooking in there. No, you're not going to think that. You know it's bacon. And when you're really hungry, bacon is, well, something that most people like to just dive into, right? And thankfully, unlike the Jews, we get to. Uh, So, you know, bacon smells great. You you get even more hungry. Well, then after you've had your fill, and after you're just, I mean, it's one of those Cracker Barrel breakfast things, you know, and you just come back in that uh, uh, breakfast place where the bacon has been cooked, it's the same smell, but now it turns you off. You're like, oh, I can't smell that. That's too much. It smells very different when you've had your fill than when you're hungry. What the enemy tries to do for us is create this vacuum that sucks us in. He has the lights, he's got the show, he's got the smells, and he tempts us to where we're hungry for whatever it is. We can't get it off our mind. We think it's the only thing that we need, and we think if we get it, that it'll make us happy. We think if we taste of it, that it will produce something good In us, and at the end of the day, when we've had our fill, it makes us want to throw up. Isn't that how you found sin to be in your own life? Haven't you been disgusted by your own self at times? By what you can do, by what you can get mixed up in, by how quickly things can go south, things can begin to decay and break apart? You see, God designed us for Himself. And when we feed upon this world alone, when we feed upon others alone, it is not enough. It'll never be enough because we were designed with a God shaped hole that only He can fill. And we must have our fill. We must have our food, or yet we starve. We are unable to operate, anemic in our spiritual life. So, we were created for God. Now, who is God? That would be a good question. I mean, if we you know, because pretty much across the board, everybody understands. I mean, you can't even, you realize you can't even describe atheism without God. I mean, He's in the name, right? Theism, atheism, that's no God. So, they can't even describe their own position without God, they can't make a case against anything without God. So he kind of just sneaks in even to their godlessness, which is comical to me, but it might not be to some. Makes a lot of people angry because they want to be God. Isn't that the first sin? We're not not getting there yet today, but in chapter three, you'll learn that God says, do not eat of this tree. And Eve and Adam after her says, I'm going to eat of the tree. Children do this, don't they? Don't do that. Well, they go and do it. There's something in us now that is anti-God. We don't want His rulership over us. There's something that doesn't like the fact that He's in control. Just like a kid that wants to go do their own thing. You know, they think that they can take care of themselves when in reality we... Would almost laugh because we an eight year old is not going to make it for five hours without me, and yet they act like they want to get out from underneath my thumb. You know, it's kind of like an illustration that I've given before. It's kind of like a kite. You know, a kite. flying high, just imagine yourself, you know, you're a kite, I'm a kite, and we're up there cruising, you know, in the air, and the wind's blowing, and so we're, we're just sailing, you know, but we're like, man, if, if I just was not, if I could just get this string off of me, untether myself, you know, from this cord, I could really soar high, maybe even as high as like an airplane, right? Is what we're thinking. And yet, when you cut the cord, what happens to the kite? It comes crashing down. There's no way it's going to continue to soar. Not without any kind of power. Not without any kind of restraint. What the law does for us is keep us restrained. But that's a good thing. I've seen unrestrained drivers before. I was talking (laughs) uh, yesterday about this. In India. And it's crazy. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures. I've got some video everybody's just piling in and trying to get through the intersection and nobody can get through the intersection because everybody's trying to get through the intersection without any kind of rules or boundaries. So nobody goes anywhere. And they told me, they said, hey, you got all these rules in America, you know, you got to go this speed and you got to go do this and you got to turn on your blinker and got to stop at the stop sign. We don't have any of that. I said, yeah, but you also don't get to go 70 like I do or even 80 on the interstate. It's impossible there. You can't do it. It's not going to happen because a measure of law actually creates more freedom. But we deny that. We don't want that. We don't want it to be the reality. We don't want restraints. We think we can do it. Ultimately, it's that thing boiling up in us that wants to be God. We want to define where the boundaries are. We want to cut the cord and act like we can survive on our own, but the result is Every single time, as I try to remind myself from the Bible, is the result is a crash. The result is we go straight down, not up. We need that tension of God in our life. That's the way He's designed us. We don't know what we're doing. If we could really see ourselves, we're blind. Didn't you love the reading from earlier about blind Bartimaeus? one of my... I mean, there's several healings of blind people in the Bible, but this one is one of my favorites because before he's actually healed, he throws off his coat. I don't know about you, but have you ever thought about like a blind man throwing away their coat to the side? It's not a good thing. He's not going to be able to find that unless he has help or unless he believes he's going to be healed. So he, in faith, throws aside his coat knowing that Jesus can heal him from his blindness. It's going to take an act of faith. But you can see God, the true God, the living God at work in your life. But you have to trust him. You have to put your faith in him, not in yourself. Haven't you already? Haven't I already trusted myself enough and been wrong and failed enough by now? And yet we just keep returning to the trough. We keep returning to the slop. We're like the prodigal over again. And we find ourselves in that story. Among many other stories within the Bible, we were created for the Father. We have a parent. And that parent has control over us. And is telling us to do certain things. And we, like a kid, want to go and push that, or touch that, or grab that. But we must not. We must trust our Father. He is our Father, but He's not only a Father, He's also our Lover. The Bible talks about our relationship as He is our Husband. With Israel, He looks at Israel and says, You are my Son. With the church, He says, You are my Bride. And so, we have a Husband that loves us, that provides for us. Not a Husband of this world, but a husband that defines husbands. See, our husbands don't define his husbandry, thankfully. Can I get amen on that? From some of the women. Um, oh, well, uh-oh. Um, you know, you can, it's okay to kind of give some feedback. You know, in a, in a football game, people give feedback. Boo. Yeah, right? I even noticed yesterday as I was at the game, people raise their hands. And yet we're scared to do it in church, you know? But man, when he gets touched down bam, right? Well, if you're saved, if you know you're going to heaven, if you know you're on the right path, why not raise your hand about that, right? My kid, when he's ready for me to pick him up, just a little second ago he did this, reached out his hand, right? He's reaching for me, right? That's what we're doing when we do that in worship. You say, why in the world are you guys kind of being weird this morning? I you mean, know, go to a football game. Some really weird people there doing some really weird things. Barking and other kind of things, you know. Start, uh, it's, it's odd. You see, we're meant to express our love for God even in our body. It must not just be some private matter. It it must not. Any more than my love for Jessica is some private matter. Like back in junior high when the person told you, hey, let's uh, go out, but don't tell anybody, you know? Um, I mean, (laughs) what kind of relationship is that? Yet we try to have that kind of relationship with God, you know? You know? We try to cut it off at the workplace, cut it off when we want to have our entertainment time. And we must not. We were designed by God and for God. Now, here's what's always been really fascinating to me about the Bible. Because there's really not another religion that puts the emphasis on humanity. Really not. I mean, and I could bore you with it, but I'm not. But they're just, mythology never holds humanity high. The Bible does. The Bible does. Humanity is the scum of the earth in mythology. It's not in the Bible. That's why we absolutely can say unequivocally that the Bible is not myth. It might be something else, but it's not mythology. It does not function like that. The gods are the purpose of mythology. Humans are all over the Bible. Did you notice this? How quickly in chapter 1 we move from God, in the beginning God, to now the Spirit's hovering over and then you get the creation story and the pinnacle of the creation story is none other than humanity. Both male and female. He created them and He blessed them. We are meant for relationships. Relationships are not just something that's kind of a side project for humanity. It's the main project of our life. The relationships we forge, the relationships that we cultivate, it's who makes us who we are. What sin will do is draw you into yourself until you can't even recognize yourself anymore because you're lost. You knew I was going to do it. But Gollum, 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 right? His name used to be Smeagol, you know, in Lord of the Rings. But that name was long forgotten because he lost himself in himself. All he could think about, all he was consumed with was his priority. I mean, Tolkien really has done a marvelous job of creating a fictional character that resembles every single one of us. What we could become... If we only made a couple steps in the wrong direction. What we have been even in the past. But God has brought us out of that. Into new life. Life that's not our own. You're not in this alone. That's the whole point of Team Sunday. Is to show the unity that we have. The community that we have. The common unity that we actually share with each other. Not just with God. But with each other. Here's a little secret. You can't love God if you don't love people. You say, "Ah, you know what? I, I got God. I like God. He's cool. We're on good terms. But me and people? No. No. Not me. No. To use some southern jargon. Like power, right? See, we're in the south row. So I have to say power. Um, no, that kind, of, that kind of stuff, we can actually we can, we can do that. We can actually live for God. We can live for each other because we were made for God. We were made for each other. And that's actually the design of it. And so we, can't, we cannot love God if we don't love other people. And he connects those two. He says, look, if you don't love other people, you can't love me. How can you love me, who you've not seen, if you don't love them Who you have seen. It's a powerful, powerful statement made by James, the brother of Jesus. Notice how the two greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord your God and be real spiritual? No. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And we must learn to love ourselves as well. There's really three people that are to be loved there. But not love what is evil in us. That must be purged. But instead, love the identity that comes through being a son and daughter of the King. Amen. You were designed to be more than what you think you are. It's kind of like those fairy tales, right? I think the fairy tales are sort of a shadow of reality. And the reality is this. We feel like Cinderella sometimes working away, doing the right thing, and nobody notices because we were actually destined to be queen. We were actually destined to be a princess. We, you were destined to be a king. So the reality is, act like a king now, even before you are crowned. Because isn't that what living in the kingdom is all about anyway? I always love the scene in Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan crowns the four children and gives them a new name. And I picture you with Him placing a crown on you like we're shown in Revelation. The revelations of John. and A crown is placed and a new name is given. What a powerful, powerful thing. We must live now as if we are already doing that. Do not get in the drudgery of sin and of of the daily grind and let that squelch God's dream for you. Because you're either on a path to be the most beautiful person we've ever laid eyes on, that every single one of us would be tempted to worship, or you're becoming the most demonic thing that could ever be dreamed up in a nightmare. It's one or the other. There is no other path, no other way, but either one of those. I guess that was an amen. We're not only created for God and for other people, but also His world. And we're kind, of, we're kind of like the boss of this world. He's actually given us this world to manage. We're co-creators, just as He created. So now we create. And even my kids can pick up on the distinction. They'll tell you straight up, God didn't create footballs, but He created the stuff it's made of. They know the distinction. We do not create out of nothing. God is the only one who creates out of nothing. So there was nothing that was not matter in the beginning. There was only God. And then He creates everything that is seen matter. Then we recreate from His creation. That's a great thing. Some of your jobs is to do that. Take parts of nature make them into something beautiful. You take wood and make a building. You take metal and do something with it. Amazing. That's, he loves that. God's a creator too. He's kind of giving us a fist pump saying, hey, you're on the team. That's what you were designed to do. You were not designed not to work. As I've said so many times before, I hate to belabor it again, but I will. And that is, I used to think work was a result of sin. I used to think, you know, hey we sin so God said you know what now you got to go to work but what I began to read the genesis again go back to the foundation I noticed in chapter 1 and 2 God is working and calls us to work tend to the garden manage the garden before we ever sin work is something that is supposed to be fulfilling for us because that's how we were designed we were meant to live in this World in this natural world, and actually make things even more beautiful. That's why I like our, you know, skyscrapers are symbolic of sort of like mountains. You know, we're always like, wow, that's a big building. I mean, they don't ever go underground to do the skyscraper and we say, oh, that's awesome, man. No, it's always up because mountains are up. So we create in the same kind of thinking that God has created. And he likes that. There's actually going to be a heavenly city. We talked about that last week. The two cities that we could go to live for. So here's the deal. There's one little problem to this whole beautiful thing we've been painting this morning. You know, God being in fellowship with God, others, and nature. It's called sin. Sin. Sin threatens to imbalance our life. And this has happened since the beginning of time. We've taken nature and we've worshipped nature. We've taken people and we've idolized people. We've worshipped the wrong God. Not only that. Sin will dismantle all these relationships in our life. When we sin, it separates us from God. It, it, you've all had it happen. You messed up with a relationship, and when you see that person again, you're just kind of like, ah, it hurts almost. Because you see them, and you know there's something not right. You've got to make it right. That's what righteousness is. Being made Right. When we sin, there's something put between us and God. He can remove that. He wants to remove that. He, it is, it's like one of the... I mean, you've probably all had this happen. I mean, I, sadly, I've had it happen more than I want to admit. I'll, I, I, uh, just, to, just to give you a short story, I was playing a video game one night in, in seminary. I was in seminary and went over to my friend's house. Before all the online stuff, so I had to actually go physically to go play with people, you know. That's that's a thing of the past now. But uh, so I went over and I'm playing with them and I got a phone call. I was a youth pastor, you know, at this you know Methodist church. I got a phone call and so like I'm I'm trying to play, you know, and I'm like I'm like, Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you can bring some food. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fantastic, you know. All right, all right, cool. So I just kinda like dropped the phone because 'cause I'm still playing, you know, I can't get shot. I'm playing a first person shooter, you know I'm in I'm in the game, in the zone. Um and I got a team to worry about, you know? And so this guy over here is is, is Smack talking me while I'm on the phone. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm like, dude. And so I dropped the phone. I'm like, how do you like that, man? And he's like, he's like, oh man, I, I got you. I killed you. I'm like, well, I was on the, I was on the phone. Except I said, I'm on, I was on the freaking phone, man. And that lady heard me. She never hung up the phone. I had dropped it, and I kept playing. I just kind of said, set, set it off the cup. I wasn't angry at her. I'm just like, dude, I was on the phone, man. What in the world? I, I couldn't, couldn't get you on that. I didn't know that. She called me back and left, left a voice message uh, that was not very, you know, uh, good for me. <laughs> and so I'm driving home and I'm listening to his voice message because I didn't even get it until I stopped playing like at 1 o'clock at night. I'm going back and I'm like, oh, that's not going to be good. Uh, that, that's not good at all, you know. And uh, th- I, there's something placed between us. I had sinned against her. Even though it wasn't intentionally... Maliciously toward her, I still sinned against her. I went that night and saw if they were awake. I actually tapped on the door to see if anybody was awake because I wanted to try to make things right right then. Well, I woke up the next morning. You guys just got. I was up there for the, at the crack of dawn, waiting for them to get up, knocking on the door. Hey, you know what? That was all on me. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know what can make it right, but I'm just telling you, I didn't mean to hurt you in that way. Uh, I appreciate all you were doing and, and I should have stopped and just taken time to talk to you and I didn't. And that was the result of it was my own sin. I'm sorry. We have to be willing to do that. Amen. You're probably going to have to be willing to do that a lot. Some of us more than others. Like me. Dense headed. I don't think about things sometimes and so I just say it. His grace is sufficient for us, though, even in our failure. You know what? I'm convinced that people will have a deeper love for you if you're willing to share your failures and admit it. I think your wife will love you more. I think your husband will love you more if you're willing to admit your failure and ask them to forgive you. Then it's on them. You can't make people forgive you. But, it's your job... To make it happen on your end. Sport, is, the ball's in your court. Not only that, but sin literally means failure, trespass. We trespass those borders, we cut the cord and we start crashing. He can mend it. That's the good news. You see there's no good news without the bad news but you've got the bad news. We all know the bad news. Good news is that relationship was restored in my life and, and you know we're we're good. It was good. God, God was gracious and so was she thankfully. Jessica has been more gracious than any of of anybody's interaction with me of course but uh, you know what that's actually what he created us for though is to be in these close-knit relationships so that the bad can come out and so we can get forgiveness and grace. Amen. That's what the church is, folks. Some people come to me and say, hey, you know, these person over here in the church, they're acting like this or they said this. That aff- you know what? Welcome to church. Welcome to the family. We're going to mess up. We're going to offend each other. But there must be grace here. There must be forgiveness here. And when that happens, there's going to be a closer unity here. We're going to pick each other up. Instead of kicking each other, Oh, yeah, I knew he was like that. I knew she was like that. No, 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 no. Let me help you up. I've been there too. I've been there. Shouldn't that be our attitude? It's God's attitude toward us, even though He has never failed. That's just... He's never failed, and yet He says, alright, get back up. Come on, get back up. You can do this. You can do this. Anytime you sin, anytime you fail, and the the message inside is, that's who you are. That's what you always do. You're never going to get over that. That's not God. That's not God talking to you. That's an evil spirit. The accuser literally the Satan that's actually what Satan means is the accuser accusing you no 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 no. you fail which we all have the message needs to come you're better than that you are better than that get up you're better than that you're made for more than that you have more resources you've got us come on let's go we're on a journey. We're in a race, Paul says. We must help each other along the way. That's what the church does. That's what this body is about. We've got a coach, but it's not me. I'm just like an assistant assistant coach. We got a head coach that actually cares about us. Sometimes it sounds like he's yelling at us. It's like my kids probably think that too. But it's because I love them. I want the best for them. I'm actually cheering them on. Making sure they're on the right path. And that's what we are designed to do for each other. We're made for God. We're made for each other. And we're made for His world. But we will not live properly in the world unless those things are in balance. We cannot worship nature. We cannot worship each other. We only worship God. And when we put Him first, everything else comes together. We must put him first, though. Literally, thinking about this team thing, and I'm done. You know, a team, very different people. I, mean, I was looking at the kicker yesterday, and he's like a 13-year-old kid, you know? I'm like, man, that guy is young. Am I just getting older? A little skinny guy. Oh, yeah. Now the, now the feedback's coming, you know? Now, now the amens are coming. I appreciate that. A little love in here. Uh, I'm looking at this guy and he's really skinny and tall. Looking at another dude and he is like 300 pounds. Huge. Quarterback, of course, tall, slender, athletic, whatever. And another dude, he's like a short running back. Stockier guy. Different colors, different backgrounds, different home lives, different thoughts. Very different people and yet one. Why? Because they have on the same uniform. You know what Paul says? I love this. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Now we've got all kinds of different uniforms on. But we actually have one uniform. That we put on. And it's through our baptism. When we go under and back up. When that water is poured on us. That is our new life. Our new garment in Christ. Put on Christ. Christ every single day you put on the jersey of Christ yes you got to go to work and be on a team yes you have other teams that you might play on but you know what that's the most important team is God's team you must be on that team literally put on Christ and when we do that we are one we are one an army of one one, because there's one body that we all are connected to. Christ's body. Literal Christ's body. That's what's being offered here today. And it's offered to you. You say, how? Pray. 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 So let's do that. Amen. Let us pray.